On episode 267 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn the top practices of the world's best coaches with Emma Doyle. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Now, before we start this episode, I've got a super cool serve drill to share with you today about something called twist rotation. If you're just bending your knees when you serve but not twisting back and down, then you're easily leaving 5 to 10 miles per hour on the table. The best part of this drill is that you don't need to hit a ball to try it. It's living room safe. All you need is a few tennis balls. To check out the drill, go to tennisfiles.com crush it. Once you go to that link, you'll learn the twist rotation drill. And while you're there, I highly encourage you to pick up a copy of Crush It from my friend Will Hamilton at Fuzzy Yellow Balls. Crush It will show you 26 drills that allows you to generate power from your entire body so that you can hit your serve, forehand, and backhand much, much harder. To check out the drill, go to tennisfiles.com slash crush it. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash C-R-U-S-H-I-T. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey there, this is Mirabon. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I just got back from the U.S. Open in New York. Had a super fun time. Saw a few friends there. Saw some great tennis. Tons of people there as well. So definitely tennis is still thriving no matter what you see you know, in the media or wherever else, (laughs) or from your friends. But yeah, uh, really great to be back as I am every week. And today I've got a great interview with you, with my friend, or for you, with my friend Emma Doyle. And she's going to talk about the top practices of the world's best coaches. She has written a new book called What Makes a Great Coach, which I highly encourage you to check out. And I have links to that on the show notes page. And the website that Emma mentioned or mentions that you'll hear later on is whatmakesagreatcoach.com and you can get her book there. And she also wrote another book called What Do I Wear on My Feet to Play Tennis and released that at the same time as What Makes a Great Coach. But yeah, today we'll get into a lot of different practices that you should know about, you know, both for... Uh, finding a great coach, being a great coach, uh, as well as you know, self-coaching too. These these uh, traits come into play as well. Things such as curiosity, energy, listening, belief, purpose, uh, the snap release technique, which is very interesting. Um, how to short circuit the experience of someone else to your advantage. How to build your resilience. Uh, being in the present moment, and much more. So these are some topics that we will talk about in this episode. So I hope you really enjoy it. And without further ado, here is my interview with Emma Doyle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with Emma Doyle. Emma, thanks so much for coming on to the show. It's great to see you again. Uh, You always bring that great energy. So I really appreciate that. And 
Emma has come out with a new book, which I'm super excited about, which is What Makes a Great Coach. And um, yeah, it's something that we all need to know about, even if we're players as well, to try to find you know the coaches that have these qualities. So yeah, Emma, uh, thanks again for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I think it's such an important topic to even discover your own inner coach. So there's not just you know, what makes a great coach in somebody else, but it's also how do we coach ourselves, especially when we're on the tennis court, which I'm sure you can relate to. Yeah, no, what, what a wonderful point to start off. Yeah, I mean, um, self-coaching, is, as they say, is uh, super important and you can either uh, self-coach yourself to destruction or, you know, to victory or somewhere in between. So, yeah, really excited yeah. Uh, about it. And uh, I guess, first off, I'm really curious, you know, how um, it, you, the book came to fruition. So maybe talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, background on like what inspired you to write it or any other pertinent yeah. details. Yeah, would love to. So basically it was 2016 when I had one of those random moments where Roger Federer was playing in a pro-am and he was walking back to his helicopter and he sort of accidentally turned and, and put his arm around me. <laughs> no, not on purpose at all. I was just in the right place at the right time. And I knew I had about 30 seconds with him. Wow. So I, 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 I got to ask him two questions just really briefly. But the second question was my, what I call my guiding question. I said, Hey, Rog, you know, one to a maximum of three words. What do you think makes a great coach? And after his response, which was someone who listens, I was a little bit taken aback with that answer. I just didn't expect it um, from one of the greats. And so I was like, oh, that is like I've always been fascinated even since when I first started coaching at 14, like what does make a great coach? Like how how can I become the best coach that I can be? And so that kick-started my podcast, the coaching podcast, where our third question, as you know, because I've asked you this question on on my podcast, in one to a maximum of three words, what makes a great coach? And so that turned into data of over 500 coaches. Mm. Now, of that data, 328 were tennis coaches, 105 were business coaches, and 71 sports coaches from 21 different sports. Into, uh, and uh, by the way, that total is um, uh, 502. Uh, and then we had tennis players. And of, of that, we had, uh, sorry, that made 504 tennis players, we had 16. And of those 16 players, seven were former world number ones who I got to ask this question. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of the data behind then what we synthesized into the top 10 practices of what makes a great coach. And listening uh, came in at number three. Um, and in the book, listening is practice seven. Mm. Um, and we call them practices, of course, because we don't just go, oh, listening, yeah, I do that, or, <laughs> you know, tick the box. It's an evolution and it's a practice. Uh, as, as you well know, we have to practice it every time we're, we're speaking with somebody and as coaches and even listening to yourself. What is your inner dialogue saying when you're out on the court? What's that, you know, your inner cheerleader? Is it for or against you? And I think being able to listen is a, is a huge quality supported by in the book, People like Judy Murray, obviously, and mm -hmm. Andy and Jamie's mum, and a great coach in her own right. Uh, and Patrick Moritoglu, um, previously Serena's coach, obviously working with Simona now, he said you have to be able to hear what the player is thinking. Mm. So 
really looking at beyond the surface level. And I think it's so important even for players listening. I know a huge part of your audience are players to say, does my coach listen? And does my coach ask great questions? And I, that's a real that's a real through line of of the book. So, um, so thank you for letting me share it. I'm so excited. I can't believe six years of my research finally synthesized into the top ten practices. Yeah, wonderful stuff. And yeah, I guess digging deeper into listening. I mean, has there been any instances of you either observing a coach or having a coach that maybe didn't quite listen? And then what was the impacts of that versus um, having a coach that that actually listens to to the player? And look, I'll put my hand up and say I wasn't a good listener in my my early days of being a coach. I say that in the book. I'm very vulnerable in some of my stories uh, because I think, honestly, it is one of the biggest problems when I just go out randomly and, and when I watch a tennis lesson, I think it's my biggest, it's one of the biggest areas for development. There's not enough questions of the player and not enough ownership on the player. So the problem is when a coach doesn't listen and truly listen to what the the maybe the root cause is of something, it's very easy to jump to conclusions and just see an outcome. Oh, you know, you need to follow through higher when really maybe it was nothing to do with that at all. Maybe it was something uh, that's been going on for the person off court that they just are off their game. So um Sorry, I just I just dropped the book because I was so excited. <laughs> we can't have that. We've got to have it. There we go. In, in, there we go. Um, but good. basically one of the biggest problems when coaches don't listen is that they're not allowing learning environments to facilitate problem solving and practice one in the book is decision making. Mm. So this is one of my core philosophies that what makes a great coach is someone who empowers decision making within the player in front of them. So. If you and I'm talking from a young age, and even if you've never played tennis before, rather than me saying hit it cross court, right? Even giving a decision like, would do you want to go cross court or down the line? You're actually teaching them about two directions. So maybe they're they can only handle two directions because they're only just beginning, and there's so many cues coming at you. But that's a classic example of what happens when people don't listen and that player hasn't been allowed to make decisions for them in a match, they'll crumble under pressure. So maybe people out there listening might be able to relate to that. If you've got a coach that does a lot of basket feeding and that's all they do, if they do a lot of telling you what to do and not asking enough questions, then you may find that player under pressure will struggle. Yeah, I really like that point because I, you know, I, I felt like um, up until many years ago, like I was pretty weak at picking up strategy and tactics. And I feel like that potentially could be maybe, you know, not saying I had any bad coaches, but, you know, maybe I was given too many directives. And, you know, if you're if you're just given directives, you're kind of like a robot. So like then you can't really use your brain as well, you know, to think through other situations and uh, when you're we come upon, you know, new ones. So uh, I really like that that point. Uh, it's very important to develop uh, or empower players to develop problem solving capa- uh, capabilities. So really Correct. like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. And practice eight in the book is curiosity. And I think 
along the lines of what you just were talking about, one of the coaches that I mentioned in the book who's been one of my mentors, uh, he does a fantastic, sets up a fantastic learning environment where he says, right, I'm the coach and I'm going to hit every ball cross court. And on the fifth ball, you have to finish with an inside in forehand down the line. Mm. Go on the fifth ball. So even that that activity alone hurts my brain. Even when I do it, I, I challenge myself and sometimes do that as a player because you have to think about getting the ball on your terms and you have to think about where do I need to position the ball to be able to finish with an inside in forehand on the fifth shot. So that's just an example of, uh, I, you know, one of the activities that I mentioned to help develop curiosity. And that is so uh, intrinsically linked to asking great questions, which practice nine in the book is communication. So just a couple of examples of some of the practices that, as I mentioned before, are ongoing. It's it's not best practice, it's next practice. Mm. So I love that as an, as an evolution of what's important. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, how has your curiosity as a coach developed over time? Oh, like with listening, I think, again, this concept of practice, it it really was stifled when I was a young coach. And that was often because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I'd be in a, in a meeting with what I would thought were, and, and, and they were, more senior coaches. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have all these curiosity thoughts, but I didn't want to say anything for fear of looking stupid. Yeah. Now, maybe even some players can relate to that. Maybe the, the coach is explaining a drill. And you've got all these thoughts and you've got all these questions, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want to say the wrong thing in front of your peers. I know I really struggled with that. And then it wasn't until I got out of tennis altogether when I studied business coaching and and neuro-linguistic programming, emotional intelligence, that I was like, ah, I can be curious and 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 there's no such thing as a stupid question. There, re- there really there really isn't. If you're really curious and you want to know more about something, then ask it. And I think great coaches provide environment and a great uh, platform for people to feel comfortable to to do that. And the better trust you have with your coach, obviously, the, the easier that is. So I'm excited how my curiosity has been allowed to blossom because I think it was always there, just went through a bit of a stifling period. And I think now I love getting to know people, like every human's different. So the way that I structure my coaching is so individualized that it is important, even if you do have a group of eight players across two courts that you're responsible for, the more you can tap into, oh, when that person learns best this way, if I say this cue or I ask that question, I'm going to get a better result. Or if I, you know, if I go and speak to that person privately or in a softer tone, for example, that's, you know, maybe that's how they're going to feel more comfortable sharing what they think about the activity. So that is really important to me. And I'm, I love being curious every day. And I love, I love interviewing great coaches too, by the way. And You'd be so proud of me. We just got our first sponsor on the on the coaching nice. podcast. And I'm, I mean, if I can just interview great coaches, I mean, I'm so curious about how they do what they do. And then it's a bit like the book. What my hope for the book at the end of every um, chapter, as you know, we call practices. There's a whole workbook section. So it it 
provides you reflection questions. For example, uh, practice two is belief. So at the end of that chapter, you're asked about what are your three core strengths or superpowers. And if you don't know, then it's go and ask five of your biggest cheerleaders and see if there's any common commonalities there. So just another uh, quick tip there to say that we have to work on these things and to build your curiosity skills requires you to understand how to ask open-ended questions, especially ones that begin with who, how, where, when, what, uh, are great questions like what specifically, one of my all-time favourite questions to understand what's going on for somebody and what's going on for yourself. Remember, hey, what specifically is going on for me right now and how do I need to change my state to be able to maybe shift my energy uh, in a particular um, way and, of course, what is practice five, Mirabhan? I know you're going to ask me. It is energy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was definitely one of my uh, my follow-ups. Um, I was just going to say something about what, what you mentioned. You know, I feel like, uh, to a large degree, um, just the schooling environment kind of um, hurts people's curiosity. You mentioned how you were kind of uh, a bit... Uh, afraid to ask questions and make points, you know, with senior coaches. And, you know, I remember being in in school, whether it was law school or even just before that, just um, when you were asked a question, uh, sometimes if you said it, gave a wrong answer, you might hear some people laughing or the uh, the, um, teacher getting angry or something like that. So uh, it's definitely, definitely comes up from a young age a lot of times and it's hard to shake off. Yeah, it does. And I also, this, this, you know, the, the fear of not wanting to say the wrong thing, Uh, you know, and I think the more you can challenge yourself around that on the tennis court and off the tennis court, the better. And the more deeply curious you are, the better. Uh, You know, one of the the quotes in the book um, by John Wooden, of course, if you want to be heard, listen. Um, So, you know, I love that one as well. Just and find a way to ignite ignite that curiosity. Even Ted Lasso's quoted in the book there. <laughs> nice <laughs> under curiosity. So cool, cool. Yeah, I really enjoy watching um, uh, English Premier League. So uh, yeah, that's a that's a fun show. Um, uh, yeah. So obviously on energy, I mean that that's such a huge one, and I feel also like when you're when your curiosity is uh, increased, that kind of gives gives you energy. I mean, I feel like that that's the case for me. You know, if I'm doing something where I'm curious about, you know, like tennis, for instance, and I'm getting energized uh, and trying to figure out things. But yeah, so I mean, I guess energy, um, you know, both from a coaching perspective and then also maybe how do players, you know, develop and, and get more energy? Yeah, well, one of the reasons why it's in the middle of, of the book, right, Okay. Because it's rather than think balance your energy, think it's a rhythm. Energy is a rhythm. It's never like a like a boat in the ocean. It's never perfectly balanced. So when do you need to, as coaches, we're all about giving energy to others and seeing greatness in others. So how do you then top up your own energy stores? So we talk about that in the book, uh, energy top-ups, energy giving, and energy traps. Understand what traps your energy. So even if you're at a tournament and what do you need so that you your energy doesn't get you know sucked in with, in a mm. certain way maybe it's being around certain people or right before your match do you need to be by yourself or do you get energy from being more social so really asking yourself those questions and understanding that uh energy and your state especially in in the match is important that you're able to to manage it and harness it yeah. so that when you're playing the point, you're actually not thinking. So you're present, 
you're being fully engaged in just that point, which is around harnessing energy. And, and Matt Orlando, who's quoted in the book, he says, um, what makes a great coach is in the present. He answered mm. it in, in a short statement there. And I really love that. It's a great reminder of how we we get that energy ready to play the point, whatever that means for us. And then we're able to just be in the present and be in the present moment. And that's another thing to look for in a great coach. Is that coach distracted? Is that coach giving you their energy, which is what you deserve? And even listening to this podcast now, you're giving us your energy and, and I'm very grateful for that. And but so therefore being present and even taking one little thing that maybe I've said and adding it to your own playing toolkit or coaching toolkit and seeing what works for you is so, so important. That's one of my missions in life. That's why I call myself an energy coach and activation speaker. I want to encourage people to take action in the direction of their goals and their dreams. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Yeah, I love that, Emma. Uh, great work there. And in terms of, um, you mentioned managing your energy during matches. Um, you know, I've seen instances of players kind of getting hyped up a lot in the beginning and then like losing their energy. Um, but, you know, some players, like it seems like they're, you know, saying, come on every point. So like, how do we, how do we better manage our energy during matches? What's, what's the formula there? Well, the formula is to, to know thyself. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, Valerie Condos Field, she's also mentioned in the book. She was one of uh, UCLA's um, winningest uh, gymnastics coaches, even though she came from a dance background. Mm. So she says, know thyself. So understand what you need to get your energy up. So if you are the type of personality where your energy needs to be more calm and more reserved, then perhaps if you're if you're too high, one of the techniques uh, that that we do, that we um, talk about in the coaching toolkit, by the way. So I'll just pop that in now because why not? Uh, the the book has twenty um, online coaching tools for anyone that buys ten copies of the book or more. So if you've got a large team or you're in charge of a, a company, because this is of course written for business coaches as well as sports coaches, um, ten copies or more, you get access to the coaching toolkit, which is 20 tools. So one of the tools that relates to what we're talking about is called the snap release. So you see here, I've got um, a hair tie on my wrist. And when I pull it up, maybe my energy is, it's a little too high and I need to be more relaxed. So I can pull it up and, and really be tough on myself. Come on. Right. And then when I snap it down, I say, stop or snap, whatever works for you. Mm. And then I take two deep breaths, just slowing down my breathing and just returning to a level that's going to help me execute. So six seconds in, six seconds out, do that twice, and then I can fire off some sort of anchor or affirmation to help me stay in the present. You and I have spoken. We could do a whole podcast on anchoring and affirmations, but something like I am ready or I am present or I am here. Try not to go, I am awesome, I'm amazing, my forehand's massive. <laughs> All right, you want to make it more about being in the present and returning to the present moment. So, and if alternatively, if your energy is too low and you need to to increase it, uh, and that's 
again, think about your personality, think what helps you. Even 10 seconds of fast feet over the line is just going to, when you get up from the change of ends, you know, Nadal does the the fast feet side to side, the just Chinese Qigong, just tapping tapping all the meridians and just up up and down the arm, mm. tap, 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 and just even rubbing under the um, the collarbone here is another good little technique that you can use just to feel connected to your body. Often when your energy mm. is uh, not high enough, you're not in tune with your body. It's like you might you may have experienced like concrete legs or um, one of the plays of the US Open this week even spoke about I felt like I had concrete in my legs in that last game. So when those feel and those feelings are real, even the pros have those extreme feelings. And any level you can feel concrete in your legs. I don't care if you're playing in a, you know, a, a two point five grand final. It you you can feel those things. So there's those techniques to. Uh, manage your energy and harness your energy, but just know thyself, know what's going to work for you. Cause it's definitely not one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a great theme to, to remember. Um, you've really got to experiment and see what works best for you. Um, as far as, um, belief, which I think you, you know, we mentioned a bit, um, I mean, that, that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, a lot of people struggle with that, especially when you go on losing streaks and so forth. Um, so I guess how do we develop our belief and how do we, you know, get get it when we're, you know, on a, a bad streak? Yep. So one of my favorite formulas for confidence, which is, again, in the online uh, coaching toolkit that relates to practice two, which is belief, is called the confidence formula. Now, the confidence formula equals time plus experience. Confidence equals time plus experience. Now, you can't really short circuit time. Monday can't go any faster than Tuesday. Yes, there is quality time, how you spend your practice your practice session. But here's the thing. You can short circuit the experience of someone else. Mm. So look at other people that have gone through maybe a similar form slump and look at what tools that they've used to help overcome that. So how can you short circuit the experience of someone else? asking what their biggest failures were, when they were in a form slump, what did they do to to get out of it? And often it's just maybe one thing that they might say, and as I mentioned before, add that to your playing toolkit and see if that works for you. But there's no doubt um, the other concept, uh, the other coaching tool that I talk about under belief is just stretching yourself one layer at a time. Most people go in these form slumps and they try and jump out of their comfort zone or they try and throw themselves in the deep end of a tournament to try and kickstart their slump. And that works for less than 5% of the population. You know what, Maribyrn, I've only ever met three players in my life where I just said, you have to step up and win for Australia today. Three. <laughs> Every other player has been about the process. What is within yeah. our control? That's another great question, a great coaching question. And what can I do about my own improvement such as my first serve percentage, such as my unforced error count in the net, um, such as uh, how I prepare, what time am I arriving at my matches, am I feeling rushed, all the things that I'm that I can take control of, and what are those changes that need to ha- that need to happen, and how can I do that over you know three days, twenty one days, and three months? If we want to make a change, it's going to be take around three months of dedicated. Uh, dedicated work. So I love those those concepts to be able to know thyself. There's that theme coming through again for this for this podcast, and yeah, really just connecting uh, with 
what's going to work for you so you can stretch yourself one layer at a time. So confidence equals time plus experience. Yeah, yeah, such a great formula. Um, So, you know, on the topic of, um, you know, being in the present as well, like um, I know there's quite a few techniques and and such. Um, What's, um, you know, what do you think is the biggest uh, advantage of, being in the present moment because I know I've heard like Corey Capistani talk about like I guess like players like either they're you know the ones who aren't as successful like a lot of them are in the past and then others are in the future um, but what's the biggest advantage of staying in the present? The biggest advantage of staying in the present is being able to trust your body and trust yourself that the answers live within you. So if there's one thing even that a uh, a sports coach can learn from a business coach, when when I define what coaching is, okay, um, it's unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. It's helping them learn rather than teaching them. So if we if you take that, if you if you want to unlock your own potential and maximize your own potential that lives within you on that particular day. Mm then you have to be in the present for that to flow forth. If you are stuck in the past or if you are stuck too far in the future, then we're going to have things like anxiety come up. We're going to have things like uh, maybe you're feeling like you can't release your shots. And what that does is it's going to limit your potential. So the other reason why this is so important is in the business coaching world, we we believe that the answers 100% live within the player. Whereas when a teaching pro, sometimes like if somebody comes to them for the first time, that they're, they're going to give them all the answers. So my real, my deep, deep hope for this book is that that concept of believing that the answers are already within you. If you were my student right here and we've never met, I believe that you have potential within you right here and right now and how do I help unlock that by giving you strategies to help you stay in the present? And that will that will allow a natural ability to flow forth. And you know what the other coolest thing about this whole this whole concept of Sir John Whitmore was one of the godfathers of business coaching, right? He was actually from a tennis background, and he was studied with uh, Tim Timothy Galway from the Inner Game yeah, of Tennis. Cool. So he used those concepts from the inner game of tennis to create that definition that I just provided for you on what business coaching is. And I, for me, it's not business coaching, it's coaching. What makes a great coach is somebody that unlocks that potential and to do that working on being in the present moment, which we all admit is, lot, is a lot harder than it sounds. But the more you can practice that, it's think and then not think, think and then not think, especially between points. And maybe this is a bit controversial, Maribyrn, but I I hope there's not the the coaching. The you know, tennis is one of the purest sports where you have to work it out for yourself. Your character's exposed. You have to problem solve on your own out on the court. So I really hope that we don't move too much. I get from an entertainer's perspective, it's interesting to hear what a coach has to say. Of course, of course, I'm curious and fascinated by that, what a coach says in a certain moment. However, I, I hope that we don't move too far down, down that line because I absolutely love when somebody's just faced with this, 
this big challenge in front of them and how do they how do they get out of it themselves and has their training allowed them the tools to know uh, when to hit what shot yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, they've got <laughs> access to their coach, assuming they have one, you know, before the match and after all that, you know, long, you know, lo- most periods of their life. So, um, but it's interesting, you know, cause I, when I saw the coaching, um, in a limited fashion at the U S open at first, I, I was wondering, Oh, wait a second, is this legal now? Which I guess it is, but it's it, like in a limited form, you have to be, I think on the same side to be able to talk to the player and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of strange to see, but, um, I guess we'll see, I, I guess they're going to reevaluate or, you know, evaluate how it goes and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of, okay. yeah, I don't, I, I don't know where it's at. All yeah. I know, all I know is that I just hope it doesn't become where, you know, a situation where the coach is the, the one doing all the directive Yeah. because we can learn so much from the business coaching world that I, you know, it changed, it, it significantly altered the way that I coach. And I feel for the better. I see I see the biggest thing, the difference is in my players now, prior to when I knew about all this amazing stuff on, on business coaching, into my into my sports and into my tennis coaching, the biggest difference is I saw my players hold up better under pressure. Mm-hmm. They're able to perform under pressure. Now I work in the corporate world where people are under pressure. They're under pressure all the time. They've got to make a sales call. They've got to make do a presentation in front of their their colleagues. They have to um, get someone to sign a contract. That's coaching. They have to be able to have coaching skills to do that because they have to be able to perform under pressure. So it's doing the training and then trust that in the moment you're going to say the right thing or in our sport of tennis, you're going to play the right shot at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Emma. And, um, you know, on the subject of purpose, um, you know, you, you've let us know about your purpose, which is awesome. Um, but, but I'm wondering for, um, you know, players and coaches, like how do we, cause I, you know, sometimes like we're out there and we feel like, you know, what are we doing? We're just kind of like a, like a robot out there. And, um, you know, we question, you know, why are we even playing and all that? So, uh, what are some, uh, pieces of advice you have for us on purpose? Cause that's so important on, you know, you, that can overcome, um, you know, periods of, um, uh, lacking motivation or stuff. If if you just remember your purpose. So how did you know what practice three is? Have you have you read the book already? <laughs> oh. Practice three is purpose. I yeah. love it. I yeah. love I, it. Actually, Thank you. yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been checking <laughs> so, it out. All right. So yeah. I appreciate that question, and it is so important that we we as in all human beings connect to something bigger than just ourselves. So even if my tennis is, I'm so passionate about it. And I'm so like, I'm pushing myself and I train and I train and I train. If you have a higher purpose, if you have a bigger reason for why you're doing it, then you motivation will be easier. It's going to be uh, much um, uh, more fulfilling and empowering to want to push yourself uh, potentially to that next level, it, go through a bit of pain, so to speak. Uh, so having a purpose is is huge. Now, how do we find it? Well, Thanks for asking. Uh, toolkit number uh, five in the in the coaching toolkit, as I said, um, is what we call the purpose statement. So one of the ways that we find our purpose statement is you go, you work through the four quadrants, and you ask yourself a question. Questions like, um, when I'm when I'm living my passion, who am I being? Mm. Another great question around those purpose statement questions is, 
what do I hold to be most important professionally or it could be personally or it could be in my tennis? Uh, another question is when I walk, uh, where, uh, for those people in my life who I care deeply about, what is it that I would want to gift them mm. beyond a physical gift? And the final question to help you discover your purpose is uh, your, the legacy question. So just even simply, does even if you're early in your career or <clears throat> early in your playing stages, when somebody walks away from you, how is it that you want them to feel? What do you what do you want them to leave feeling? And from answering those questions, you distill that usually into about three or four sentences, and then you try and get that into one sentence. For example, I harness energy and I empower people to see real possibilities beyond what they ever could have imagined so that they can take action in the direction of their goals and their dreams. So that would be an example of a sentence where I've gone through those four questions and I've distilled it and distilled it and distilled it so that it is where I where I need it to be so my purpose becomes easier and my decision-making, practice one, becomes easier because I know mm. how to make my decisions based on my purpose. Based on doing this podcast, do, is this podcast in line with who I am and my purpose, 100%. It's a no-brainer. It's like, can you please have me on the show? Again, mm -hmm. I know I've been cheeky and been on a couple of times because I love connecting with you. I love I love just the conversations that we have and we never know quite where they're going to go. And I'm so curious to know like, and excited by that because it's in line with my purpose. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, such an such an important part of um of the disciplines here that we have in in the book. Um, and you know, kind of more of a fun question, at least for me. Um, you know, writing books, uh, they are not easy. I've never done it, but I want to. But um, I've just heard from others just how much toil, you know, and, and you know, just many many hours. So I mean, you know, how long did it take you? How, how did it you know feel like? Did you have yeah. moments where you were wondering, you know, you had to go back to your purpose to to keep you going? <laughs> oh my goodness. Again, probably a whole nother episode where you could interview me on this. Uh, but what worked my process, whereas I locked myself away sort of for four days and wrote, I'm really proud. I wrote that first manuscript. I wrote 55,000 words that looks by the way, nothing compared to draft 30, you know, manuscript 33. Oh. <laughs> so just, you know, that that's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm really proud that I did that. I, I needed the support of others writing it doesn't come naturally to me. Mm. So uh, if anyone is thinking of writing a book, I, I feel like I could help people on on all my failures of, on what not to do. But I, you know, I did engage the services of uh, an amazing business coach, Natalie Ashdown, mm. uh, to help me finish the book and in many ways rewrote a lot of things. And when her and I would chat about resilience, she would bring out the, these amazing stories in me and and she would bring out what I really feel about resilience and she was able to then help me construct that based on what I'd already written. So she took what I'd already written and that's what, what I love about this and it has a feel, I'm relieved. I'm relieved that this actually this copy is in my hand. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm relieved that it's coming out this Thursday, the 8th of September at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. For the whole weekend of the US Open, we're going to have a discount. It's going to be discounted. It's super cheap on Kindle. It's free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, mm. But it's just for this week, the weekend of the US Open finals. Uh, and but obviously you can buy it after that, but that's that's uh, the weekend where we're, we're hopefully um, see if we can uh, move up the Amazon rankings just for a bit of fun. Uh, but really relief is how I feel and excited now because I get to just talk about 
coaching. Mm. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, and I that was my process um, to so to lock myself away, right? And find your process. Some people it's right for an hour in the morning every every day. Whatever your process is, is that's tip number one. And tip number two, engage a team early on to help you with your direction, mm. which can then align your purpose with uh, a great structure uh, on how to write a book. The minute we got some structure in terms of the story, the why, the how, and the what, it it became so much easier for me to put my thoughts into something um, that I really feel is is super easy to read and I'm glad it's in my voice. So it, this is not an intellectual manual. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. definitely, uh, it's it, it, uh, it's my intellect, but in a way that's more conversational and story-based um, from the people that I've met along the way and my own journey. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And obviously I highly mm. encourage everybody to check out the book. Uh, I've been Reading it uh, so far, and uh, it's excellent. So yeah, let's let's get Emma up the charts here. Um, and I'm curious too. Um, were there any um, any categories or you know traits that that almost made it that you were like, oh, I wish this this made it or, yeah. or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so two come to mind. Really, really close to being in the top ten practices: patience and care. Mm. So they yeah. they were two that really rated highly, uh, you know, and I think care is a lot of crossovers as well because care is very much within empathy and empathy was yeah. the, the fifth top trait. And if you think about really understanding someone, walking alongside them is, is the concept that we talk about in the book, not just walk in their shoes, but can you walk alongside them to see what they see? That has to come from a position of care. So I think that one's, that one's really super interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think also patience as it relates to communication. So mm. to be a great communicator requires a great deal of patience, especially if what I said earlier, if you as a coach or the teaching pro know the answer, you just want to give it to the student and you want to just tell them what to do straight away as it relates to where they need to aim their second serve, just hold back, be patient, even yeah. as a coach to help that, to help them say, oh, what if I move my ball toss here? Or what if I, what if I toss it further back? Will that give you more height? Well, well, even though you know the answer, well, why don't you do it and see? So I encourage, I know you have a lot of your listeners, a great deal of players, people trying to maximize their game. If your coach continues to give you the answer and just tells you what to do or how to adjust your your ball lift, for example, on the serve, on a second serve, maybe even invite them to say, hey, can you just give me a couple more goes at it first? Because I want to see if my body can adjust or I want to see if I can work out this challenge on my own first and then I'd love your feedback or something along those lines. I really hope that that's also what happens for people who are listening and then take these concepts and apply them in the workplace for those within your team Mm. or your customers you know truly listening to what the needs of your customer is if you're if you're whatever you do for a living and uh and if not just have me come out and I'll come and speak to your team no just kidding (laughs) well not really but uh (laughs) please use the concepts to to think about beyond the tennis court. This book is beyond forehands and backhands. It's it's a coach's way of being for people to discover their inner coach and also to empower the people that they choose as their coaches. Yeah, it's awesome to see the crossover, you know, not just tennis, but everyday um, life as well. Uh, great stuff, yeah. Emma. Um, so where is the best place for people to get the book? 
yeah, just check out uh, whatmakesagreatcoach.com. So if you head to that landing page, you'll be able to see we've got our virtual book launch party. So please grab a, a champagne on, on Thursday <laughs> yeah. night if you're here in the States. I know I'll be having one. And uh, and join us. There's a link there to register for the virtual party. Anyone in Denver, of course, we're having a party in person mm. on, on Sunday the, the 11th for the US Open uh, finals. And, of course, uh, Otherwise, you can you can go ahead and purchase the book. And why you know why launch uh, one book when you can launch two? Of course, Maribel, I have written a little kids book as well. Um, uh, it's very tennis specific. It's for two to six year olds. What do I wear on my feet to play tennis? So it's a coloring book. It's a little um, Dr. Seuss inspired rhyming book. The little character tries on a cone for a shoe. So all that information you'll be able to find it on the landing page for whatmakesagreatcoach.com. Because you know why not? Why not? Like. <laughs> Why you know Buzzle Buzzle be an author of two books on the very first time anyway? That's a little <laughs> that a little is... crazy, but you know me, Maraban. I am a little crazy, but uh, that's a website. You'll be able to go straight to Amazon with the uh, appropriate links for here in the states. And if if not, if you can't find the link, if you're listening from Europe, just uh, send me an email info at emmadoyle.com.au because my mother always tells me to remember to go home. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you've made the Guinness Book of World Records here. I, I don't know which, you know, especially, um, you know, in the tennis and business coach realm that have released two books as their first book. I don't I don't know <laughs> if that's happened, but uh, and, and totally different, too. That's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. And how cute are these little mugs? They just arrived today. So I've got uh, my, my three qualities on the back. So you can actually put your own qualities on the back. And oh. what makes a great coach on the front? So these are my per- these are my three. The E factors: energy, empathy, and enjoyment are my top three. And enjoyment. See, enjoyment didn't make the top ten practice, but that's okay. So, uh, so there you go. The three E's for Emma with an E. That mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. how convenient that is. <laughs> um, exactly. The E factors. That's right. Yep. That's right. So cool, Emma. So yeah, uh, wonderful stuff. Um, I guess I'll ask you, you know, the, the, you know, this question, which you've heard several times um, to close, but um, uh, can, can you, and you've given us so much today, but what, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? And obviously you can give it from an angle of, um, of coaching. Well, I, one, one of the practices that we didn't touch on, which I think is one of the biggest areas for development in most people is practice 10 just made it in there resilience mm-hmm. okay and it's you know, as Darren Cahill says it's not what we do when things are working but what do we do when things are not working and how do we get back up time and time again tennis is still a game for most of us who makes the least number of unforced errors and in a match of six six four six four it's still the difference of four points. And as we know, 45% of the time we're coming second in the rally, okay? So we can't win every point unless we're Monica Sellers back in the day. I think she's one of the only few players that I can think of that would count how many points she'd lose. And she'd still lose five points, but, you know, amazing on one hand. But park that for a second. Be resilient and don't just be resilient. Get yourself some resilient strategies. Build your resiliency to be able to not be affected by anything. Even I played in a final the other day uh, and mm. I didn't say, I, I took the emotion out of it and I just used the shoe color of the two ladies I was playing. So one had pink shoes, one had purple shoes. So I just say, right, we're get, we have to do this with pinky. We have to do this with purple, right? So take the emotion out so that you can be 
you can think between points and then you can be in the present during the point. So that really helped even me the other day, you know, and I think as coaches we have to put ourselves under pressure. Not saying you have to, you might not compete so much anymore but or might compete in a different sport. Or, But how do you find ways of being resilient and building your resiliency like we talk about in Practice 10? Uh, and, uh, and that would be my number one uh, tip moving forward because I think in this in this chaotic world, this agile world, things are constantly changing all the time and even in this hybrid environment of finding that balance, we have to build boundaries around your, your resiliency so you can compartmentalise and bring out your best uh, by staying in the moment. So um, that's that would be my, my top tip for today's podcast. Nice. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, uh, such a great podcast. Uh quality to end the, the book on in terms of being the last one. Uh, Emma, thanks so much for coming on. And obviously, I highly encourage everybody again to go to What Makes a Great Coach to buy the book, uh, What Makes a Great Coach, obviously. And also um, your other very cool book, What Do I Wear on My Feet to Play Tennis? Um, yeah. And then you also do have the option to go to Amazon if, if you desire. Um, so yeah, great stuff, Emma. Uh, yeah. Really great to have you on and all the best with, with the launch as well. Um, and you know, I highly encourage everybody as well to try and get um, the book, you know, the same week that this podcast comes out um, and, you know, to hop on that special as well. With You said it was getting, if you get 10 books and you get access to courses. Yeah, yeah, 20 online coaching tools that aligned with the top 10 practices. So if anyone, 10 copies or more uh, and 100 copies or more, then I speak, I'll come out and I'll speak to your team for, um, to your team. So that's that's my little, it's super cheap this weekend. So 10 copies, it's a bargain uh, for the online coaching toolkit and 100 copies and uh, I'll come and speak to your team. So. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks, Emma. I'm sure we'll speak again soon and uh, look forward to having you on the summit as well and and, and everything else, yes. uh, more content with you. So uh, yeah, keep up the great work and congrats again on the books coming out. Everybody check them out and uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, everybody. And remember, discover your inner coach. Take care. Bye for now. Take care. Thanks. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with my friend Emma Doyle. And if you did, then definitely check out the book that she wrote called What Makes a Great Coach, as well as her other book uh, that she released at the same time, What Do I Wear on My Feet to Play Tennis? So definitely go to whatmakesagreatcoach.com or check out the show notes page for the links to that. There's also an Amazon link. And yeah, uh, if you did enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. That's always appreciated and lets me know what you think about the show and helps the rankings as well and the visibility and so forth. So definitely do that. If you haven't yet on Apple Podcasts at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app that you use to listen to the show. And I'll leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by John Wooden. Uh, So speaking of coaches, (laughs) great coaches, um, Coach John said, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to become the best of which you are capable. I love that from Coach John Wooden. Uh, With that, thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to bringing you more quality, top quality content moving forward. So take care and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabhan Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.